Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome back, yes, back, to Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the listener, a lovely listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. What is that, you ask? Well, it's the highest, most spiritual, most wonderful, most emotional, most sexual, most incredible form of human being there is possible to achieve. And the only way to do that is, of course, to watch every film that the man I call the Golden Hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage himself, has ever made. I hope you're good. I hope you're well. We are back for, I don't know, season four, if you want to call it some bullshit like that. Uh, apologies for the longer than expected break over the new year. Um, just same reason as many things get delayed these days. Just real life got in the way and just didn't have as much time spare as I wanted and needed to sit down and edit the podcast. But in the absence, um, while I've been away, I've been recording a backlog of episodes as well. So we've got a new bunch of episodes that are ready to come out covering 2017 and beyond. So don't worry, your boy's been at work whilst we've been away. Um, and I hope you've been well. I hope you've been well in that time. I hope you haven't just In that time away as well, you may have heard me on one or two other shows. I had the absolute pleasure to join a fellow cage aficionado, Petros Patsilovas, over on the Caged In podcast, where we finally got to put 1993's Deadfall to bed, and we had a really, um, really fun, um, great conversation getting into the, the nitty and the gritty of that film. Link to that in the description down below. A lovely companion piece to this episode in many ways, so go and check that out once you've listened here. And with this week's guest, Travis Roy, over on his podcast, Cinema 9 podcast, uh, we got to talk about The Weatherman and whether it holds up in this day and age. That was tremendous fun as well to join the guys over on the Cinema 9 podcast. Link also in the description, so check that out too. In terms of links, as ever, you can find me on all the regular social medias. I'm on Twitter at cage underscore podcast. I'm on Instagram at cage rage pod. Uh, link trees in to all the other things in those various uh, socials as well. And you can find me in terms of streaming on all the usual streaming sites. And if you enjoyed the podcast, if you enjoyed the episodes, please consider uh, rating highly, five stars, if you like those podcasts, helps them grow, and share them around, tag me on socials, um, it's all appreciated and very well, and very well received, um, I am incredibly indebted to anyone who listens to this podcast. But we'll get into this one, as I mentioned, I was joined by Travis Roy, a, um, a self-described cage fetishist who um, joined me to talk about Arsenal slash Southern Fury from 2017. 
We talk about the strangeness of the infamous Cage character Eddie King being reprised. Of course, we talk a bit about Deadfall as well. Can't get enough of Deadfall these days, me. Uh, the possibility of the Cage multiverse and just what really a bizarre film this is overall. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this one as well. So, without further ado, it's episode 78. It's Daryl Edge. It's Travis Roy. It's Arsenal Son Fury. Enjoy. Duh. So we're kicking off 2017 this week with the action thriller Arsenal or Southern Fury, if like me, you're a silly, silly Englishman. Now this week, Cage reprises his infamous role of Eddie King from 1993's Deadfall. Now if you don't remember, that means he is a ruthless crime boss. This week he's coming between two brothers, one successful, the other a deadbeat, after some drug nonsense goes wrong and it all bloody kicks off. Now joining me on the journey to true cage nirvana this week to see if Arsenal comes packing or if it's just making an arse null, see what I did there, of itself, <laughs> is what part of the Cinema 9 podcast, Travis Roy. Travis, how are you doing today? Hey Daryl, I'm doing really good. I'm happy to be here on the Cage Rage pod and do the whole cage nirvana thing with you. It's awesome. Thanks for having me. Always welcome. I said it before, I'll say it again. Always so much room on the journey to True Cage Nirvana. It's as if people don't want to get on the train. I don't know <laughs> why. I've seen my Spotify wrapped. Um, <laughs> but as, as ever with these um, with these episodes, and especially with new guests, always love asking at the start, at the top of these things. Um, Nicholas Cage, for you, Travis, where do you stand on the man, hypothetically, literally, physically, if you want to, rate, hate, tolerate, um, how, how, what, why is Nicholas Cage for you? I would not figuratively or literally stand on him, but I'd let him stand on me. That's how I feel about <laughs> Nicholas Cage. I, I, I love Nicholas Cage. I'm not, I'm not like you. I'm not one of those people that, uh, loves him ironically or anything. I mean, I appreciate his you know, his wackiness and his, you know, bizarre kind of turns. But I also think that he's, I mean, I think the man is literally a genius. I think he's literally, I'm not using the word lightly. I think he's a genius actor. I think he runs the gamut of like doing weird, like pop. He could do pop stuff. He can do like joke films, like kind of like, or like joke roles, kind of like what we're going to talk about today with Arsenal, or he can do stuff like pig or Mandy, which is just like transcendent. And for me, like I, I, I'm, I grew up with him. Like, I mean, like he's basically been part of my life all my life. I mean, I remember seeing like raising Arizona and outsiders and stuff like that when I was a little, little kid, when they were new. So he's just kind of always been there and I always like liked him, but then I liked him more and more and more. Um, especially like, um, you know, after I didn't watch a lot of his 2010s, weirdness i watched one or two of those like frozen ground i'm like oh this is okay i think he's doing some all right stuff during this time but not really for me uh and then you know then i watched mandy and became like full-on obsessed i started a podcast last year where i was like well, you know the cinema nine pod that you were on and uh i was like oh you know other people are gonna like get in shape or like build backyard obstacle courses during covid i'm gonna see if i can watch all the movies just all of them and a lot <laughs> of them were nicholas cage and uh and you know over the course of the past year and a half, my my love for him have, has turned into something approaching obsession. I completely and entirely. I mean, the the term preaching to the choir comes <laughs> into effect here. Very much like yourself, I started a podcast because of pandemic reasons. Um, yeah. 
uh, I think you know very similar to yourself, Nicholas Cage, been a bit of a part of my life. He's that actor, I think, because he's been going for like you know forty years now, transcending generations. So yeah. he's kind of a he's like the distant second cousin in all of our families in some way. <laughs> We all we all know him. We you know, we invite him round, but he never turns up. And then, um, you know, when he does, it's just it's just too late, and the family's been absolutely dissolved by inner political drama. Um, but this is you know we touched on sort of the, I guess the 2010s weirdness here, and um, you know the 2010s in of itself a lot to talk about there with Nicolas Cage. This is. I suppose what I call the height of the straight DVD era of Cage, yeah. especially around this time. Um, you know, um, incidentally, you bring up the Frozen Ground also had John Cusack in it from 2013. I think 2013 was maybe the last truly good year for Cage for a while. 2014 was then a complete reverse of that, an absolutely dog shit year. Um, any year that Left Behind comes out is not your best year, and I won't hear no. otherwise. Um, <laughs> Well, then we start coming into the 20, 2017, and it's uh, an interesting year. We start off with Arsenal slash Southern Fury. We'll probably use those titles interchangeably as the, as the episode goes on, so just be aware. Um, but you have, like, mom and dad sort of seeing this year around. But then we start with this, which is, I mean, I don't know about, you know, I suppose I should ask it really before we get into this. Was this one that you'd seen before? Yeah, I, I'd never seen Deadfall until this week. I figured I should prep myself. I didn't know that it was like a loose sequel to Deadfall until until prepping for this uh, podcast with you. So um, yeah, I watched it about a year ago, and I was blind drunk. So I loved it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I loved it. I really thought very highly of, highly of it. Then I watched it again last night, and I'm not gonna lie, dude, I still liked it. Dead sober. I mean, like it's a severely flawed film as we'll get into it but but uh yeah I, i'd seen it once before and uh was blown away by his weirdness i mean this is like this is upper echelon i think weird performances from him like he's really leaning into bizarro cage here um so i think it's i think it, i think there's a lot of value in it for that reason <laughs> absolutely i mean um i suppose you know with an episode like this we can't not bring up Deadfall, um, right. arguably, I suppose both really Deadfall and Arsenal, two Cage films, which you were well within your rights, I suppose, if you're listening to this as an average human being, and like people like us are obsessed with Cage, <laughs> we, it, it's over for us. Don't don't come <laughs> looking for us, you won't find us. Um, but you are well within your rights to have never heard of these films. Um, I think Deadfall had might have had zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This had three percent, um, <laughs> and I think the only way you would have been introduced to Deadfall and have not known it, I think the way I was as well mm. before I started this podcast many many moons prior, is the yeah, the the great Nicolas Cage video, Nicolas Cage losing his shit, yeah. which you can probably find on YouTube. So about half of that video is clips from Deadfall, um, and I suppose. Even now, I can't really describe Deadfall. I can't really describe his character of Eddie. I don't know if you have words, because even, <laughs> even now I'm still trying to process what I saw for Deadfall. Oh, man. Well, so I I, I, I read an article um, recently that he did when he, um, when, he re when he released Settle the Score. He was interviewed by Vulture, and he was talking about how at one point in his life he wanted to do like an Andy Kaufman thing and like present himself as a different character. I think he wanted to call it like 
David Butters Allen. Have you heard this? This is like the no. this is like an alternate persona that he wanted to come up for himself, but similar to Tony Clifton, because like this is fucking Tony Clifton. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is this. I mean, it directly looks like Tony Clifton. And I don't think that's an accident. Um, but I do think that Arsenal and um, Deadfall have something in common and that I think and I think that the reason why Eddie King, the character is plugged into Arsenal is because, because I think in both movies he went, this is a shit script. <laughs> I'm going to have fun with it and just completely go off the rails. So Arsenal, at the very least, I think it's the first time you see him like just absolutely toying with the Well, I mean, he's doing he's toying with in Vampire's Kiss as well. But like, I still think he's like doing some serious acting. I think that's actually some of his best work, which some people would very strongly disagree with me. But uh, I think he's like he's he's playing there and doing some weird stuff. But like, he's still trying. Like, he's still like doing a good job. And Deadfall, it doesn't as in Arsenal, it doesn't come off like he's trying particularly to do a good job as so much as he's just trying to create a memorable funny character that he enjoys playing this is this is kind of the weirdness of it all um because i was i was trying to find something on google before we started recording the episode today just to be like why is this character returned why is it playing yeah. again and the kind of nothing really exists nothing. that explains this this is just a complete anomaly in i don't know cinema film to not to try not sound too pretentious but um, but the director of this, Stephen C. Miller, um, did confirm in a tweet about five years ago in 2016 that they are very much the same character. This is a reprisal. I think the only main difference is that Eddie has a surname now. We know he's called Eddie King. And I can't remember if he did in Deadfall, but certainly here in Arsenal, there is a prosthetic nose. He did um, in, in Deadfall. It wasn't as obvious um but there but yeah there was a prosthetic no, which was funny because it was 93 so you think it'd be more obvious but um it was it was less obvious yeah that's that's funny that's strange it's it's weird to me because i think and maybe going from past experience of cage because he this isn't the first time he's brought us a uh, prosthetic nose to the party <laughs> if um you may remember he had a one minute uncredited, uncredited cameo in a, um 80s film called Never on Tuesday, where he turned up as a guy in like a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, this red jacket, this long yeah. blank hair, and this witch's nose. Um, I think the story there is that he was basically doing a favor for a friend who was directing it, and he was giving complete creative freedom. So the only way this now makes sense to me is if we call this like you know the fake nose trilogy, and <laughs> because I think. And this, I suppose, because we're really just free to leap, come up with our own theories here. I think anytime yeah. someone says to Nicolas Cage, we want you in this film, and, and this is the key phrase here, we are going to give you creative freedom. Right. I think his idea of creative freedom is a fake nose. <laughs> <laughs> and a wig, of course. <laughs> and a wig. And I say this with all due respect, because like yourself, I, I, I unironically love Nicolas Cage. I think he's brilliant. But yeah. You give him creative freedom, he's going to a local costume store, he's getting a wig, a moustache, he's getting the fake nose on. <laughs> um and this is this is I couldn't tell like if he had fake teeth as well, because the his bottom row teeth maybe maybe this is me at this point, you know, I'm at seventy eight episodes in, I'm looking at every detail of the man sure. at this point. But the the teeth and the gums just look something odd off about him. That might be his real teeth and I'm just being an awful human being. Um, <laughs> But this, when you're this far down the rabbit hole, God damn it! The, you know these are the um, 
you know, I sort of wish that I had like a cork board with all these like pictures and red string pinned in, like saying like it all makes sense and only I can see it. <laughs> right. In that I, in that Charlie Day kind of way. Yeah. I'm I'm puzzled why if they chose to make this a sequel, why is there zero scarring to his face? The man took a, a deep fryer to the face. His eyeballs were like he was clearly blinded by the experience in Deadfall. Spoiler. Um, but like, and then they bring him back. Like, no, he's got Wolverine capabilities here. <laughs> I mean, I'm still racking my brains because yeah. I think as we're, as we're both away, you know, we've looked for this. There's no explanation as to why this character has come back. And, um, you know, I think, you know, we, we're 30 years removed. I think we're okay to talk about Deadfall in detail yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point. <laughs> um, but in Deadfall, um, I think one of the great tragedies of that film that no one has ever seen is that Nicolas Cage's <laughs> character of Eddie is only in it for about half of it. Yeah. Um, and then he's killed off because he is the the wild man, the wild druggie. Much more unhinged in that film, I feel, than this one. Um, you know, I think maybe yeah. for, maybe for pure... I don't know, like YouTube compilation, look at it in that mindset. I think there's a lot more of him in that one than there is in Arsenal, but... As you quite rightly pointed out, um, Eddie dies in Deadfall. Um, <laughs> he has his head pushed into a deep fat fryer. He's like boiled, roasted cage. He's dead as dead gets. Um, yeah, there's no surviving that. You don't survive that. And then, inexplicably, this character has returned in this film. But now he's not like... I think in Deadfall he was mid-level mob. And now he is the top of a low-level mob organization. Uh, yeah. The hierarchy has changed. <laughs> no Coburn this time. <laughs> none of none of that at all. Um, so, I mean, I don't... I don't know if this is... Um, if, if the writer, Jason Mossberg, I think this is the only movie he's he's been responsible for a screenplay for between the director, Stephen C. Miller. If they just... If this was just a niche meta homage to Deadfall, or they thought, you know, we can do Deadfall better. Um, if, <laughs> Not hard to do. If this is the cage first, maybe, you know, this is like Loki variants almost, like different eddies exist in different timelines. I, That's I, kind of my theory, actually, is that this is an alternate reality Eddie King, because, like, he doesn't have any scarring, he's he's alive, I, and, and I think that, I think, and he, like, even the nineties version that we see of him early on doesn't seem like it's not like, he's not, he's not even in the same town or in the same organization that he was in in deadfall. So I think it's like a, I think it's Eddie King, but again, it's more of a Tony Clifton, Eddie King. It's just like, I can superimpose this character anywhere. And I think it's worth mentioning that deadfall was directed by uh, Chris, Chris Coppola Cage's older brother, who also appears as, as buddy in arsenal so i'm wondering like maybe he's like if he did the fake nose thing with a friend and he does a fake nose thing with his brother like is steve c miller like a buddy of nick cage's i don't know but like it seems like there's a little bit more playroom like room to play around for for, for some of these characters for him it's like I say, there's, it's so confusing, and I think we sound so clueless because there are <laughs> no, there are no answers to this. It's purely speculation. You know, all we know is that these. I mean, I'll sort of look on the Wikipedia page for like Deadfall at least, and it says like the top paragraph, a prequel slash sequel, Arsenal, starring Nicolas Cage as his character, and he was released in 2017. But 
even then, there's no real knowledge in Arsenal that this is a prequel. This is, I mean, it, it definitely takes place in, I suppose, modern times as opposed to the nineties. But again, maybe the only way this this makes sense is that maybe, and I'm just spitballing here. 1993's Deadfall, Eddie's head was put into the fryer. Now, maybe mm-hmm. there was a some kind of um, spontaneous combustion of energy transfer and some alien freak coincidence that his consciousness was transferred to a different timeline <laughs> <laughs> to 2017, to the Eddie King of 2017, and he's continued his empire there. Um, Sounds reasonable. But, I mean, it's more reasonable than Deadfall, let's be honest. <laughs> At the very least, we don't have to endure Michael Bean's narration for uh, Arsenal, so that's something. Oh, man, Michael Bean, you know, <laughs> this is this is the thing. I've got nothing against Michael Bean no, because you no. know he he had a little part in The Rock. He was in you know the, the first Terminator for crying out loud. That gets him basically gives him like a sci-fi free pass and Aliens, um, Aliens as well. But in Deadfall, they might as well have put like some sunglasses on a wet lettuce. He was. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I have never experienced such a lack of charisma. <laughs> I, the same as the whole time I was watching that movie, and we're, we're talking about Deadfall the whole time. But that's fine. The whole time I was watching that movie, I'm just like, this is a leading man. Like, this is a leading man. How is this a leading man? And the answer is no, he's not really a leading man. There's a reason why he didn't lead many movies. It's it's crazy because you know Michael Bean has had a very long career, and yeah. again, no disrespect, he's done. So many movies. He's done a lot of television. Still working today. Yeah. Um. I think he was. I think he might have been in the Mandalorian, maybe in the first season or second season, one of the two. Um. But he's also one of these. It's kind of this weird thing. I don't even know what a term for it is. It's one of these things where it's like I have nothing against them, but I also hate everything they they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice person, but but like, yeah, no, I agree. I think, I mean, I think that he's like uh, been adequate in a couple really great and important movies. And yeah, I, I, and also maybe, I mean, I don't know, Christopher Coppola didn't really do much else. Maybe his direction style was not what being needed, you know, might fall partly on him. It's interesting because, uh, like you say, and as you sort of said earlier, Christopher Coppola, as far as Deadfall is concerned, one of the co-writers directed it. Now he's here as um, uh, Eddie's Buddy. brother um, yeah. called Buddy King. And I'll, we'll certainly get into Buddy as well. But it makes me wonder as well, you know, that they're, they're putting together Arsenal and at some point in the conversation, they say, we've got to get Christopher Coppola involved. Um, I mean, I don't know if Nicolas Cage puts that together. I don't know if the director reaches out and says, "Like, look, we're we we don't know what the fuck we're doing, but we're using Eddie. All right, get used to it. <laughs> get used to it, Chris Cope." Um, and then in my head is like, "Right, whatever," but I just want a part in it. Yeah. So you think like you're on again? Like I'm lost for words because nothing about this film, these two films, makes sense to me. And there's really no there's no connection between them other than Eddie King like like the movie Southern Fury if you're you know in the UK this movie is very clearly like a movie that was written and then this other character was just like superimposed into it like here let's like let's just do this 
right? So I mean, like, there's not a lot of, I mean, like, like, we're trying to make connections and make logic, but uh, you know, we're dealing with Cage. He 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 defies logic. He's above it. <laughs> He's a man who exists out of the realms of real life. And exactly. that's exactly where I want him to be. Yeah. But it's 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 just the confusingness because I suppose the silver lining of all this confusion is that it will only affect people like us who like watching Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> to the other ninety eight percent of the population, you'll go about your day to day lives. For me, this is haunting my day. <laughs> I've puzzled over this. I've turned it over in my brain. But the, the funny thing is that, yeah, you and me have seen Arsenal and Deadfall and whoever's listening to this podcast has probably seen both of them and nobody else in the world has seen these fucking movies or cares this deeply about the connections between the two. Um, you know, I've consulted my pondering orb at length ad nauseum today and it is, it has come up with him. You know, in a way, the magic eight ball, it might have just been like a straight no. My pondering orb said, yeah. um, <laughs> now I suppose, um, I guess looking at some of the other cast that's in this as well, because there's, yeah, there's a, a few names in here who mm-hmm. sort of like ticking things over. We've got, um, and hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly, Adrian Grenier as uh, JP Lindell, um, who you may know from uh, Entourage. Um, a show I never watched because I thought it looked shit. It looked terrible. Never saw it either. Uh, we've got Jonathan um, Skek. I think it's Shack. Shack. It was one. I was. I was going to just like try and say how it was written, like sheesh, <laughs> which is also my feelings on this film. <laughs> um, John Cusack is here as well. Um, oddly, very oddly. And oh, we. You know what? Let's. I didn't want to go into this. Let's get into Cusack, right? Now, all right. First of all, not the first time Cusack and Cage have collaborated. We've had him in Con Air before, the Frozen Ground, as you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, here, Cusack's edition is a curious one. I'm keen to get your thoughts on Cusack being in this film. Um, for one, it seems like he's in disguise, like he doesn't want people to know that it's him because he's wearing a fucking do rag through the whole thing and like dark sunglasses and like a hoodie to boot. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, like nothing about him, like cop. No, I don't like may- maybe like the cop in Con Air kind of like I think he was kind of a cop in that, wasn't he? Like I, c- I could see him like kind of a bureaucratic kind of uh, police figure, but like he's not a fucking beat cop. He's not like a, on the streets, like like narco. Like I'm not this is, I'm not buying any of that, nor that he's corrupt. Um, and I and he like this character to me was like such an obvious like they wrote the movie and then went fuck we got no one for him to interact with in the second act we need jp to have some sort of buddy to interact with in the second act so they just kind of like another character like shoehorned in here to like hey well let's explain where the repeatedly set up Chekhov's flashbang um shows up to explain where that comes from the grenade and and then just for him to have someone to kind of like be with during the second act so he's not running around talking to himself and that's pretty much it. It is. It's it, It's kind of like the script said, oh, we kind of need an excuse for JP to be able to interact and get these tidbits of information. Because I think a lot of this film, this is about a 90-minute runtime. I think almost thank an God. hour of this. Oh, thank God for 90-minute films, honestly. <laughs> I think one of the... You know, say what you want about Nicolas Cage's output this time, but he did a lot of 90-minute films, and, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, one of the, the strange thing, like, 
about 60 minutes of this, maybe 65 days, um, sort of JP going around and trying to get <laughs> exposition about what's going to happen, what has happened. And Sally's kind of there as a conduit for this. And as he said, John Cusack is inexplicably dressed in all black. Yeah. Um, and you can play a little game like take a drink every time he's got a different headwear in a different scene. <laughs> he goes from headband to do-rag to cap to do-rag to cap to headband. Um, <laughs> he's usually wearing sunglasses. He looks hungover. He yeah. looks bored. Yeah. Um, I was trying to find some more information about like um, the movie, and I found a few websites that found some information on a DVD commentary. Um, and from one of the brief tidbits that I found, it said apparently John Cusack just rolls up to set in his own clothes. So there's a chance <laughs> that in 2017, maybe even now, uh, John Cusack unironically owns and wears a do-rag in his day-to-day life. I could see it being his choice and not Miller's. I I have a feeling that no one told him to wear it, <laughs> is my gut feeling. Yeah. Um, likewise, apparently, I suppose going back to the fake nose of Cage um, here, apparently he turned up to set with a prosthetic nose and didn't tell anyone. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> apparently he just turned up, the nose was on, and action. That's um, so funny. I, I feel like in a Cajun way, it's like, if Nick Cage turns up and he's already got the nose on, I'm like, well, we've got to reshoot all your scenes now, but cool, we're doing this. <laughs> this is a low-budget film, and we don't have the time for this, but sure. I feel like, unlike Bill Murray, he at least lets you know that he's going to show up before the day of. You know, like At least he's going to surprise you. It's going to be like, hey, I- I'm here, and I come with a little something extra. I suppose it's pick your poison. What kind of surprise do you want? Do you want a cage surprise or a Murray surprise? A cage surprise at least involves the actor being there on set and ready to shoot. So that's something. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like from what I read about Bill, uh, Bill Murray, a Bill Murray surprise is him not turning up to set, being five cities away serving shots of tequila at some student house party. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, more professional Nick Cage, I guess, is where we're going with this. I think um, I lean towards Cage because you also know for Murray as well. In the lead up to the film, he will shit on you. <laughs> he will absolutely shit on you in a public, like a oh, national no. talk show. You're like, yeah, I hate you doing this film. Uh, what are we talking about, Caddyshack or something? Or, uh, at least Cage will turn up. God damn it! Right, he'll do the press. Yeah, he'll do all the stuff, and I, and he does, and like he all. I mean. I was going to say always, rarely does it seem like Nick Cage is not having a good time. Rarely does it seem like he's not either trying to do like serious art, like good work, or that he's at the very fucking least having like a blast with this character. Every now and then you'll get something where it's just like, oof, he really just earned a paycheck on this one. But this is one of the ones where you get the sense that like, I mean, okay, you have him like slow motion beat down and full Tony Clifton mode with like gospel music blaring and blood squirting all over the kill room that makes me a very happy nick cage fan the glasses the screaming like yeah and then the, and then the big soliloquy afterwards it's like so over the top like the whole movie for all of its flaws and there's many is worth it for like those moments to me this this, this is kind of interesting watching this film because i think there were times um where the film had a loose idea of what it was trying to do, but then it kind of felt 
and maybe not so much in the directing, but in the camera work and the editing, like there were three people with three different ideas. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, and as I've no discredit to sort of um, Stephen C. Miller, um, he's directed a handful of films, a few horrors, a few action films, but it kind of felt like in this that, uh, you know, they were coming up to the scene, they're looking over the storyboards, they're looking over the scripts and um, the cameraman's got like, Hey, I've got a, I've got a great idea. Basically, what we're going to do is we're just going to follow Mikey walking, and we're going to do that six hundred different times in the film. We're going <laughs> to tracking shots. I'm telling you, I just yeah. read about this online. <laughs> um, and then sometimes I'm going to wobble the camera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to ramp down the the speed periodically. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then, out of the blue, we're going to throw some fucking Matrix bullet time in yes. there. CGI bullets. <laughs> it's like, again, I, I always feel like bad when I when, when it sounds like I'm shitting on a film, and I know in some respects I am here, but it feels like they took like a hat, and in that hat they had like scraps of paper all with different cinematic techniques on. They're like, okay, we get three, we get three of the lucky dip, and then they got <laughs> they got bullet time, they got tracking shots, um, they got camera shakes and sort yeah. of tracking down as well, and. It, it kind of like, yeah, there was a lot of it. Some of it made me feel a bit nauseous in like the chasing scenes as well. Oh, the completely unnecessary chasing scenes. I mean, let's be honest. There's this weird junkie that like they chase for like a half a second, then they let him go for no reason. Like there's no real reason why he's broken into the house other than I guess he's looking for coke. Um, and then you have this other chase scene with the with with the rusty guy, which is like, just goes on forever. And you're like, I feel like they just watched true detective and wanted <laughs> to do that too. Um, but no, I agree. Like, I mean, it's, but that's, that's kind of the thing with, with like Nick Cage with some Nick Cage movies. And with this movie in particular, is that like, you kind of shit on it. You kind of laugh at it, but I'm I mean, like, I'm coming at it with affection. I mean, I'm coming at it with like, I mean, I was, I was entertained and I do think that there is part of this that, I mean, like, like his tongue is in his cheek. I think he wants people to laugh to a degree. Now, did Stephen C. Miller and Jonathan Sheck and Adrian Grenier, did they want people to laugh at this movie? I'm not convinced that everybody was on the same page on that one. But uh, but Nick Cage, I mean, he's 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 aware. One of the things I love about him is that the dude is aware that he's a meme. He knows he's a gif and he's going to work that and use it, which is, again, I think it like adds to his genius. He can like do like serious, great work and he can also like move in pop culture in ways that not a lot of people have or that they like will that they can control. And I think that he's kind of doing that with this movie. Definitely. I think this is one of the things where, um, you know, every night, every now and then, and there may be people who disagree. It's weirdly nice to see him just go all in and just yeah. give me, give me that meme cage, which <laughs> you know. And uh, again, you know, it's something I've said time and time again on the podcast. You know, he can act. Um, oh, yeah. He's got the awards to prove it. Um, but this is the style that he likes. He he loves this this absurdity or I guess the, the German expressionism as he calls it, his Nauvoo yeah. shamanic techniques or whichever <laughs> one he's invented the week before the film right. started shooting. Um, but I think a lot of it also comes in as well. Again, sounding like a broken record here. There are, um, I think certain films when directors know how to use him, they know when to hold him back. And I think in something like this, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a low budget film said it was about a 10 million 
dollar budget on this. You you have to assume there's probably time restraints. They've only got so many hours in the day. They've made you know maybe they've got a month to shoot this tops. Um, so then you get to the point where you start filming. You're like, okay, we're gonna have this actor here. We're gonna have that actor here. Oh, by the way, um, Nicholas Cage is doing Eddie from Deadpool. And then we're gonna do this. Like, what? I'm sorry. What was? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. There's a lot of um, clanging and banging in the back as they get the shots out. Did you? Did you say? Hmm? Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> what? And then Nicholas Cage strolls in, like kicks down the door, like I oh, fucking yeah. And he's got the fake nose on the wig, um, the wig. Um, and then you're like. Okay, this is the movie. Cool. This is <laughs> this is the movie now. And what is the movie without him in it? I mean, uh, I think Jonathan Shack does pretty good work here. But like, if he had come at it straight, or if, he, if that role had been played by, God forbid, Bruce Willis, who apparently is in every other Stephen C. Miller movie, um, <clears throat> I have a hard like. I mean, I do think that there's some like some of the stuff is okay, in in some of the stuff that the non cage stuff is 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 all is watchable some of it but i'm like take cage out of this movie and you have dredge i mean you've got like just dreck i mean this is like not good stuff without him frankly <laughs> no one, there's no one's going to be talking about it again i think jonathan shack does pretty good work here but other than that not so much yeah i i agree with this i think with this film it's kind of like i think if you took cage out of the equation because he's basically the ticking time bomb that kind of offers the attraction about this film, or at least 3% rated better than what Deadfall did, if you want to go by those <laughs> numbers. Um, if you take him out of the equation and you put, I don't know, someone else who's, you know, not an established character in the role, then it kind of it came across to me that this is a very almost um, like copy and paste kind of action-y, thrillery yeah. film, like You've probably seen a hundred other films like this with insert family drama here, insert villain here, insert situation there. And it's because there were a lot of times in this where I was kind of watching it. And, you know, to his credit, these were the non Nicolas Cage times when a lot of it felt like it was trying to pad out 90 minutes. And like we said before, it was a lot of the. Um, the JP and Sal go to the meat market to go and look yeah. at some ham slices and various <laughs> other suburban awful adventures that they get up to. So I felt like it kind of dragged when he wasn't on the screen. And oh yeah, there was a lot of times when I just I realized like I just I just I glazed over for about two minutes and I was like, <laughs> oh, or I just like check my phone. Like a lot of this just unfortunately just for me at least just wasn't that interesting because there was not a lot of soul to it i think it tries to compensate with cage and as you were saying the slow-mo and the surprisingly gratuitous amounts of gore and blood yeah i mean just mouthfuls of blood getting spit all over the place in this movie in slow motion naturally naturally i mean you've got people taking like bats to the face that slow motion crank. oh yeah not even just a bat to the face but like a metal pipe with in your mouth and then a bat to the metal pipe like that's complicated but sounds and looks painful we've got you know some real hit man style execution <laughs> things going on and even going back to the um the eddie and buddy scene where eddie is beating buddy to death and he's doing this kind of 
open palm dragon claw almost. King Kong gorilla smacking like yeah <laughs> this this isn't MMA people let's put it this way <laughs> and he's just like just hammering him down like again and again in slow motion and I'd say the gore does not match up to the violence here because it's, I think it's on the third hit it's like a bucket of blood just splashes <laughs> over a phone or something like what did you did you cr- crack his skull like a damn egg on the maybe third hit? Hold the jugular out, maybe? Because <laughs> you're right. There's like all of a sudden just like this, like this, like gosh of blood just splatters across the screen. You're like, well, where did this all come from? It's like I didn't realize that Nicolas Cage was also playing Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> this, this is like. And I think it's one of those things, you know, if this was like intentional for like some kind of black humor or something, some very yeah. dark comedy, then hey, hands up, you got me because I was like, what? <laughs> if if that's the reaction that you wanted, at Stephen C. Miller, then you know, fair play, my applause, you got it. Um, <laughs> people have a lot of blood in this film, um, so much. Uh, and then there's, you know, obviously there's the shootout later on. There's the beatdowns, the various beatings that Mikey takes. Um, Luca's head exploding like a watermelon at one point. Oh, oh God, the, yeah. The climax. Don't forget there's, that. He gets a shotgun and his head explodes. Um, very, I mean, right, very graphic. I mean, right at the start of the film, you don't see it, but their uncle blasts his head out as well. There was no expense spared on the practical gore, at least. <laughs> so there was just a mishmash of things going on in this movie. Like, here's some good ideas from films I've seen before that I like, but yeah. I wanted to put into a film that doesn't necessarily warrant or deserve any of them. Someone really likes Zack Snyder. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Release the Miller cut of Arsenal, you cowards! <laughs> Is what? Give me the um, give me the 260 minute version of this guff. Oh, oh, watch every part of it. I mean, I, I would, I. I'd subject myself to it. Who am I kidding? I've watched everything else that he's ever done. Well, and there's a couple, there's still a couple I haven't seen, but I will watch them. I suppose, I suppose sort of tailing off on the gore here. I suppose the, the one, the thing, actually, one of my notes about buddy, at least, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we're talking about people being made up in certain weird ways here. As soon as buddy came on screen and bearing in mind, you know, we've had flashes of Sal in various do rags and paraphernalia at this point, but he's on screen, and my immediate thought was, "Why in the fuck have they dressed him like Steven Seagal?" <laughs> uh, my big thought was, like, I know this is a famous, or I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to know who this is. Like, this is supposed to be like some, like this is like a, you know, like some sort of cameo. But I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I don't recognize this guy. I had to look it up, and I'm like, oh. It's his brother. Well, that makes sense. I mean, the movie's very much about brothers. They got his brother to come play his brother so that he could kill his brother and then yell at the brother about his other brother. It's very brotherly. <laughs> Damn right, bro. <laughs> I suppose, actually, that's a parallel that I didn't really think of when watching it because I was too busy thinking about the cage verse. Yeah. Um, I suppose the brotherly parallels in this as well. You've got two pairs of brothers in both instances. There's one brother who's gone... I suppose maybe slightly more down the off-beaten track than the other. Um, obviously, with JP and Mikey, JP's gone on to be a successful construction owner. He's the businessman of construction, Lindell Constructions. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Mikey's been like the problem 
child. He's sort of failed in all aspects of his life. He was dismissed from the military. Um, and then I suppose on the other side of the thing with the kings, you've got there's there's that scene sort of later on in the film where sort of post Buddy beat down and mm-hmm. Eddie's is sort of explaining um in his Eddie way that um he served a number of years in jail because yeah, he got three caught. years. Yeah, because he got caught. He was fourteen or seventeen, one of those 17, two ages. I think, yeah. Um and he got caught and his brother didn't by the time he came out. His brother was a crime boss or something. Yeah, his brother screwed him over and like took the money. Like so he could have like turned turned his brother over and got like a lighter sentence, but his brother like instead like stole the money and like set himself up. So and then on the other hand, you have like Mikey, he gets into a life of crime, but he takes care of JP. Like he doesn't let JP see the uncle that killed himself. He doesn't let him like get involved with the stuff that he's doing for Eddie. He like gives him the um the lawnmower to like set him on the straight path. So you get like this sense of like, you know, um the different reality what could have been different for Eddie and what could have been different for JP if they had had different older brothers. And that's why, that's why uh, Eddie is so fixated on destroying them and all that shit, which is a stretch, but at least they attempt to make sense of why this is all happening. Yeah. At least they do. I suppose just about scraping the bottle of the barrel bare <laughs> minimum to give, some kind of extra context to why I guess Eddie feels so personally about yeah. this whole vendetta as well. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, there's the link that Mikey has is at least associated with Eddie. He's worked for him for some time. I think it's alluded that he's worked for him from a young age. I mean, right at the start, you have um, Mikey, and I don't know if I missed the bit here, but the way I saw it was like Mikey basically just randomly walked through this sort of corridor of like plastic tarp and sheets and then saw Eddie beating down someone. And then even though their conversation was, you're going to stay quiet and say nothing. Um, (laughs) And then suddenly Mikey's working for Eddie and somewhere along the way, I was in money, but then they decide it's $350,000 which he's willing to negotiate down to $200,000 on. With very little fanfare, he'll drop to two hundred. dollars <laughs> <laughs> Say what you want about Eddie King. Negotiating is not his strong suit. No. Um, well, you know, I mean, something that's consistent between the character is that he's a fuck-up. Like, he might be like a powerful, scary psychopath, but he's a fuck-up. Like, he doesn't, he's not really good at what he does or that smart or that brave. Or anything, which I kind of like that. He's a he's like kind of a cornered animal in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think there's never really any illusion in this film, and I suppose I think his his brother says as much that he's in like you know like uh, he's like you know, hostages, like extortion, like drugs trafficking and stuff. He's like, what what the fuck is going on? You've screwed up. And even though Eddie's like, nobody's gonna know about <laughs> or. It's worthwhile having subtitles on, is what I'm saying, because there were a lot of times I didn't have a fucking clue what he was saying, but I loved well, every second. That's of a it. Mississippi accent. You may not have recognized that, but that he's the only one in the whole movie that takes place in Biloxi, Mississippi, with a Mississippi accent. I'm kidding. I don't know what the fuck that is. It's from outer space. <laughs> I was wondering what like what it is because none of those accents match. And I'm not an accent no, expert. No. None of those accents matched up for me. No, the remotely. Only, the only reason that. Unless they outright said it was in, I think it was in Mississippi. They said it was. Yeah, it's I think um, the baseball team is called like the Shuckers or something. And I was like, ha, that's a silly name. <laughs> and then I looked up, it was like the Biloxi Shuckers. And I was like, 
that's not real. America's <laughs> fake. Um, <laughs> well, I, I do want to, while we're on the subject of fake America, I, I really feel as an American it's, an American, it's important to point out that at no point on July 4th do we sit beneath the fireworks going off and eat hot dogs. I mean, that's like a little too on the nose. We'll actually stop eating our hot dogs, watch the fireworks, then resume eating our hot dogs. I mean, we're not crazy people. Well, we are, but you know. I think the only reason that sort of, uh, I think the holiday wise of like, this all seems to take place on like, even though it's over the course of like a week, it all seems to take place on July 4th. Yeah. Um, I think it was just because Mikey said, oh, happy Independence Day. And it's like, that's a movie with aliens. You're a liar. <laughs> that didn't happen. And I was like, wait a minute, is that July 4th? If it's I July know, 4th. <laughs> if I know my America, and I do. Um and then it just made me think, like, oh, we Brits nearly had you. We we we, oh. we, were, we were brought up some shit. <laughs> brought up some real four hundred year old resentful feelings as my ancestors. Um, and all the and all the good, good. good. <laughs> it's like, damn you and your pointy trident rifles. Um, I I don't know how you won, but good on you. I played Assassin's Creed Three. That's about as much as I know of the revolution. I think, I think your side got bored. I think we were, too, playing. we were too busy kissing and having two breaks, which is <laughs> hey, and we still are. So it's I suppose it's nice to know that you know you've got your hot dog priorities in order as well, and firework priorities. I mean, this is important. You can't just like ruin the whole experience with a hot dog you gotta separate these things um but although fighting with your family and uh over a holiday i'm pretty sure that transcends america we I all do that's, that that's pretty much universal mm. um i suppose we've i suppose we've got less chances to do it there because obviously we don't Unless we ever start celebrating a brexit day which i hope never happens <sighs> some some of us want it some of us want it over here but we don't have Thanksgiving because, to be honest, we haven't been thankful for a lot for a long time. We're all very sad and <laughs> resentful. Over so here. it seems we're I mean, I can't say that we're the most grateful bunch either, but, you know, we we make a pretense once a year with the turkey. <laughs> no, we just I don't do we even save it for birthdays anymore. <laughs> we you get to a point here. You just stop turning up. Yeah. You just you just have to decide for yourself when you stop turning up. Um, but you know, as we know, someone who always turns up it's Nicholas Cage, um, the golden you know, hog himself, the golden hog of Hollywood himself. Um, and you know, you know, part of me hopes Eddie that Eddie returns. <laughs> I don't. Know. We we don't see him die. I mean, he gets a shotgun blast to the face, presumably, but we don't see him die this time. So it's possible. I mean, the way I see it is if you can survive a deep fat grilling, a deep fat frying, you can survive a shotgun to the face. Fuck yeah. I think he regenerates. I think he has got those Wolverine abilities. I, I think, think he's, so too. I think this is going to be the theme because like, Nicolas Cage is like a classic horror fan. And at the point of recording, we now know he's going to end up playing Dracula in a, yeah. um, a, a movie with Nicolas Holt coming up soon. It's exciting. So, so I wonder if if Eddie's actually going to be the transition into Dracula. This is the horror thing where it turns out Eddie can't die. Um, he just turns up in different situations in films. Always he comes back with. I'm sorry. He comes back with a bigger nose, presumably more plastic hair, but bigger hair, a bigger nose, a bigger coke addiction. <laughs> um, I think in terms of parallels, I think 
I think I said this earlier, I think there were some parts of it I was hoping for a bit more craziness. I think it focused quite heavily on the brother drama a lot. Yeah. yeah I was right. hoping for some real 93 Eddie um, of like him just shouting about Sam fucking packing par for no reason, <laughs> where he's just going, I want to see the fucking baby. Um, I wanted to see, you know, like in Deadfall, there was that guy in the fake beard following him for no reason. And then he goes, yeah. You're fucking following me, man. You're fucking following me. And then I was hoping as well that we were going to get just a long nine second shot of him walking into the room and going, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't quite, I mean, we do get some, you know, we, we definitely have some moments here. We, we I mean, I, I think that overall, Arsenal is a better movie. But Deadfall, Deadfall, of course, is a more memorable and uh, interesting performance. I think you actually get more of him in Deadfall than in this, too. And, yeah, the schlocky uh, Cusack stuff doesn't quite make up for it. Adrian Grenier, I mean, he might as well be, I don't know, like a wet dog wandering through the <laughs> film. Like, he's barely there. <laughs> um, but, it, it, I mean, for Cage aficionados, I mean, this is it. I think this is a must watch. Like, not necessarily a must love. But it's it's a must watch because I mean this is this is peak cage in my in my thinking. That's why I was when you gave me a list of like movies to choose from, like I was like, oh good, no one's chosen Arsenal yet. Like, no, of course they fucking haven't. Only I'm excited for this. <laughs> yeah, I think there are certain films. I think you know when I when I approach people, when I rarely get around to doing admin because I'm just a lazy piece of trash. But when mm. I do admin, I think there's one film. I was like, no one's gonna fucking know what Arsenal is. <laughs> no one's gonna know what Southern Fury is or Deadfall or how these two might or might not link. And yet here we are, the year of here our Lord, December 2021, um, talking about this ridiculous film. Um, and I suppose actually touching on um, uh, JP's character as well, because obviously a lot of this, you know, I think it's very fair to say he's a wet dog throughout all of this trying to do the family man stuff yeah there were certain things about his character and i i appreciate maybe maybe the the script here doesn't give him the greatest chance to sort of spread his wings he's quite yeah. limited like oh man where's my brother i don't think that my brother did this i think eddie might have done it sally gonna help me no i'm too busy selecting of my five black do-rags um but one thing there was this was towards the end of the film and i think it's it's gearing up to the confrontation with eddie um and at this point you know he's received the polaroid of his brother beaten down it's like mm -hmm. um you've got three days no questions we basically your brother's gonna get um your brother's gonna get killed um and they've been trying to find him trying to find some leads they've roughed up some of the lower hierarchy of the eddie goons they've gone mm -hmm. after rusty as sal calls him a ginger bitch i really felt that unnecessary if anything um <laughs> harsh i was like you know i get he's a crook but come on we've got feelings as well and then this you know he saved alexis's niece mikey's daughter um mm. with that weird slow-mo entry through the door into their <laughs> apartment as he just kicks him in the leg yeah it's like and this weird slow-mo hip kick <laughs> it's really slowed down I was like, he just appeared in the doorway and he went slow-mo. And I was like, you didn't have to put slow-mo here, you know. It would have been more effective if you burst through the door. But, you know, I'm not I'm not a <laughs> filmmaker. I'm a brain-damaged 30-year-old idiot. What do I know? Um, but then there was a point as well where 
um, he's had that phone call with Mikey, and Mikey's said, you know, oh, we're going to get out of this, and then I'm going to take you to the arcade, my tree. And JP's like, ah. he ponders about this for about two hours in film time. He's like, hmm, he said the arcade. The arcade. Arcade. Cade. 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 <laughs> I was like, I was like, what do you fucking think it means? Um, and then, you know, basically, he's been tipped off, and he, and he knows. He knows where his brother is. And then he just goes home and raw dogs his wife. And I'm like, I mean, I mean, you do you into a relationship. I don't know if this was the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then this happened to be one of the scenes that, like, my uh, my girlfriend was sort of watching with me because uh-huh. she's been out and about and doing stuff. Her two notes on this were, one, is that a fake nose? Yes. Uh, and two, the raw dogging scene. She's like, that's going to hurt. Um, and I was like, in Hollywood, everyone's ready to go. Um, the second was when they have sort of the big showdown at the end. And mm-hmm. it, this was something I wanted to like ask and get your thoughts on as well. I didn't actually mind the showdown at the end. I felt there was a lot of like big close-up shots where the camera kind of wasn't keeping up to speed with the characters' like faces and stuff, but... Yeah. Um, you got a lot of the Matrix bullet time, and you get some like you know three D gore and stuff, and heads being blown off. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mind it. I felt this was one of the few scenes where the slow mo was arguably warranted. But unless I missed something here, was there anything in the film prior to that moment that gave any explanation to JP having any firearm training? No, no. I mean, like none. This was. I mean, like I've got issues with the movie, and this is this is very much one of them. I mean, for one, the movie's called Arsenal. Where is the arsenal? You see, like two guns in the whole, maybe three guns, like in, like in the whole movie almost. And one of the main points of the movie is that JP is supposed to be the good guy, the guy that doesn't have a gun, the guy that doesn't get involved in all this stuff. Turns out he does have a gun and keeps it in the safe. Okay, that's fine. But like, he's very, very ready to be like, okay, we're gonna murder people now. Like, I thought you were supposed to be like the non-criminal one. How I mean, like, partly I get it because like he kind of does need to kill at least Eddie King to like end this. But also like he's like, yes, I'm immediately a badass. I'm immediately like with like I'm I'm gonna I can murder in cold blood and be fine with that. I can I can I can blow up two hundred thousand dollars with my flashbang for no like why would you put real money in the thing? I don't understand this choice. But like, yeah, no, I just I I I he he doesn't make any sense for him suddenly to go full badass at all because he's supposed to not be. This is the thing because I think even Sal says to him, "It's words to the effect of like, is this the route that you want to go down? Can you be a killer?" And he's like, "Oh no, I can't, I can't really do it." Because here I was kind of hoping that Sal would do, yeah, something that would make sense. As far as the film is conveyed, basically Sal has just taken a week off work. <laughs> just, just a free, just a freelance as like fucking do rag sell, you know. Like, do you want to come to work? You absolute rag of a man. Um, <laughs> but he's just you know hanging around in his car, being bored. But then you know, they he's had the meeting with Eddie, and Eddie's like, "Well, I'll do it for two hundred thousand dollars." And then he tells him where to come, and then you know, and somehow JP gets round the back of everywhere first and finds Mikey. Yeah. And at this point, like, he had the gun. I was like, you don't know how to use a gun. And then he gives it to Mikey. And I was like, 
okay, I mean, that makes sense. You've, you've yeah. said earlier that he has military training, at least. Okay, that makes yeah. sense that you'd give him the gun. And then, as you said, they're doing the exchange, and he's flashbanged the money, and suddenly he can use... Uh, like a like a firearm, like a handgun. He can use a shotgun like can, a pro. Yeah, he can whip it right out of the air and and like use it in one go. I, and all the goons have the aim of stormtrooper. No one's hitting him. <laughs> and I was and I was just watching it, and I was like, I, I mean, you know, it's not like I was completely invested in this film to begin with for the last eighty-five minutes of all of this, but like. You can't just throw that out there and act like he's he's Neo as well with all the other bullet time nonsense <laughs> that's going on. Yeah. It's just a baffling... I mean, like, the, the movie doesn't bother to try and make a lot of... I mean, like, so much of this movie, as you said, is spent with them, JP and Sal, like, trying to figure out what's actually going on. Where is Mikey? What's happening? And, like, and the whole time he's being held and... Uh, Eddie King is taking the trouble to disguise his voice and do all this stuff. Then it's like, hey, let's just meet for lunch and I'll tell you that I clearly kidnapped your brother. Like, oh, okay, let's let's meet for lunch so you can tell me that you kidnapped my brother uh, with only 20 minutes left of the movie. Like, this is a weird, a weird, not just choice for a character, but for a screenwriter. It's a lot of, in- I can't even say interesting, a lot of decisions <laughs> narratively <laughs> were made um, yeah i mean like mistakes were made mistakes were made um i'm watching this film was one of them i mean like like <laughs> like alexis is abducted um just to be used as leverage but then she's just caught taken off screen and then saved and then she's fine later they've got jp's um co-owner of the construction company rob i think his name was his name he I mean, like he goes to him and he's like, my brother's in trouble. You need to liquidate all our assets, start getting some money coming up. And he's like, oh, man. And this was one of the things that made me laugh because the script was so bad here. Um, he says, like, uh, oh, you need to start liquidating the assets. I need $350,000 because my brother's in trouble. And then Rob says, oh, man, it sounds like something bad's happening. And JP replies, I literally just told you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this exchange? <laughs> you could have cut those two lines out, but you kept them in. And and Rob just keeps coming back into the movie. You're like, what purpose is this character serving? Because ultimately all he did was like steal the money so that they don't have, I guess it's, it's so that they don't, they don't have the money anyways, but they do end up coming up with like 200 grand. It's like this weird red herring that's like impeding the money flow, but like the money flow doesn't matter because they don't know, he doesn't know where to, take it at that point i don't know there's decisions were made you're right there's a lot of decisions made in this movie and i think one of the decisions was hey my cousin really wants to be in this movie i'll uh, i'll have him play this guy rob yeah like cousin rob i mean it's the only way it makes sense yeah and again like you said the way they get the money because rob just turns up with a duffel bag and a neck brace and a black eye and is like i got the money and jp's like you're such a fucking good friend (laughs) thanks bro I to ask him what happened. He's not okay. It's like, did you did you confront Eddie? Is there a whole side story deleted scene that we're missing here? What happened? Did you commit insurance fraud or something to get beaten up in a payout? Like, are you ready for the Arsenal spinoff featuring Rob? Because it's, it's coming. <laughs> Stephen Southern... C. Miller's next film, <laughs> Southern Fury and Rob, um, <laughs> coming twenty twenty seven. Um, 
So it's it's just there's just a lot of random things that just don't make sense. You know, like the adventures of Rob, the random junkie in the house, how oh, yeah. the hell JP knows how to fire weapons, what Sal's point was in the film, his random mohawked, maybe undercover, maybe a drug dealer, cop friend who JP punches in the face for no particular reason. How about Buddy like being like, well, you did a, a crime we don't like, so we're going to kill you and you're my own brother. I'm like, wait, does this really necessitate killing your own brother? The fact that you didn't think that he should have kidnapped someone seems excessive. You've been criminals for like decades. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like, well, you know, and, and I'm not saying that I stand by um you know, like taking hostages and drug trafficking or extortion or anything. Good to know. Um, I mean, there are some crimes I do quite enjoy, but that's for the <laughs> After 9pm podcast. Um, but you kind of think, look, you're both, as it seems to be established, in criminal enterprises here. But, right. okay, if if that, and I think hostage taking seems to be a pretty by the numbers thing to do if you're in the business of crime so if you draw the line there like what is your fucking you know your your entry level bottom ladder rung to crime is it littering is it doing one of those jaywalks that only exists in america is it farting (laughs) (laughs) one of those jaywalks buddy i demand answers about the about your idea of crime Uh, murder cool kidnap not i guess it's 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 a it's a very loose bar that gets moved wherever the plot needs it to be and if that ain't just the film in general it's so loose and moved to wherever it needs to be (laughs) and weirdly the only 25 year constant between the two is the time traveling wonder man eddie king himself the unkillable immortal anything <laughs> so maybe there should have been more of with the best part of the movie like just lean into that there absolutely should have been more and maybe we'll see him again in 2036 in when nicholas cage is how old will he be in 25 years 57 62 nick cage will be 82 at this point I see him doing it i mean i wouldn't be surprised at I this mean, point. he said recently that he will not stop acting until he's dead so thank god you know, 30 more years of Cage is what I'm saying. I, I'm ready for every single movie that he's going to do. I'll watch them all. If it means I'll be doing this podcast until I am 60 years old. <laughs> when podcast... You signed up for it. There's no getting out of it now. Yeah, I wrote a contract to myself and signed it like a douche. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm my own boss. What? I hate me. I am Hatron. I've got to fire myself. That's not fair. Um... So, I mean, I don't even... I think if it's not clear so far after this hour of conversation, this is a baffling film. Yeah. Deadfall was a baffling film. Arsenal Southern Fury is a baffling film. There's no rhyme or reason between any of them. And I'm (laughs) going to lose sleep over this because that's... Mentally, this is where my life's at right now. Um... You know, I've got Christmas shopping to do. It's it's December. There are much more important things than like, oh, Daryl, I don't see anything listed from you under the tree this year. I was like, silence! Don't you understand what, what I've seen, the things I've done? <laughs> um, and then I'll be thrown into a, a a nice padded room where the nurse gives me a nice hot cup of tea. That is Cage Nirvana there. There's a padded cell. Cage Nirvana is 
it's lots of things. It it could be whatever you want it to be. It's in different different forms and different methods to different people, but one of them is a padded room with no um with the lock and key thrown away. And one of those Nick Cage pillows that you can kind of like run your hand over and it shows his face. Run your hand back and the face disappears. Oh, there it is. He's oh, getting, you, of course you own it. Oh, you mean this one? <laughs> oh, you mean this one? Yes. Um, for the, that one right there in your hand. <laughs> for, for the listener, I have, yes, I do own a Nicolas Cage sequin pillow, which when you wipe it reveals his face. And, You're halfway there, bud. And I'm not going to lie. I actually have two of these. <laughs> You're more than halfway there. <laughs> I used to have a Nicolas Cage cardboard cutout as well, but my um, long story short, my cat systematically destroyed it, and now it doesn't stand up anymore. So it, it felt it, the threat, you know, like your your love was directed elsewhere, and I'm sure that your cat did not appreciate that. That cardboard stand reflects my mental state every day. <laughs> Down and out, baby. Down and out. Um, I suppose that's that's a good point to start wrapping up the episode. Um, but I suppose, you know, even though we've gone over this quite ad nauseum, uh, Travis Roy for you, Arsenal, Southern Fury, whatever you want to call it, what are your final thoughts on whatever the fuck we just watched? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a good movie. I will say that I enjoyed the movie as a Nick Cage fetishist. Um, I think that anybody else that watches this movie that's not a big Nick Cage fan or at the very least highly entertained by him is not going to find much value here because, I mean, you know, I, again, like I, I don't mean to rip on the movie. Um, the, the director actually went to the f- same film school as me and clearly doing a lot more with his degree than than I am. <laughs> so I can't crap on him too much. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is not this is not high art, um, but it is must see tv when it comes to nick cage and his uh his 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 bizarre antics i mean this is this is i think um if i if i was making a list of the best films this would not be on it if i if i was making the list of like the the must see weird performances i think i'd put this on it and again i think we're in complete agreement on this you know it's 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 not the greatest film in the world. I would put it on a list of films that I've watched. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, this day and age, I think, especially for I guess the, the cage uh, fetishists, really, I think it's a great way to describe it. It's for the completionists, yeah. really, if That's nothing right else. There. And we don't get a lot of that that old school memeable cage rage. Excuse the pun these days. But if you want to get a hint of it, you've got a bit of it in Arsenal. Um, but you know, you get a fake wig, a fake mustache, a fake nose, and not a lot else. Um, a real performance. It's a performance. A performance was had here, and a film was definitely made. And it is available for some reason as recording on Amazon Prime. Um, as me and me and Travis were saying off record, say what you want about the multi-billionaires, but Jeff Bezos has a good taste in actors. <laughs> um so I think on that absolute bombshell, we bring ourselves to the end of Arsenal Southern Fury this week. Um, I thank you uh, massively, significantly, and greatly, Travis Roy, for going through this emotional roller coaster with me. Uh, Travis, for the listeners, uh, where can we find you on then their socials and such? 
Thanks, man. It was definitely a pleasure to be on uh, and uh, to talk about this wackadoo movie with you. Uh, you can find me at Roy Zavoir on Twitter. That's R-O-Y-S-E-R-V-O-I-R. And you can check out uh, my podcast, including one of our most recent episodes that Daryl was on. We talked about Nick Cage, unsurprisingly. Uh, my, pack, my podcast is called The Cinema Nine Podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on, man. Extremely welcome. An absolute pleasure um, to have a fellow Cage fan on the journey. We come to the end of this week's episode. That's Arsenal Southern Fury down and the rest of 2017 to look forward to. So hopefully we'll catch you in the next one. But as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all we have to do. Take care. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.